no matter what state we are in, God wants us to come and we can even be in a good state. Don't necessarily okay. have to be a bad state. We could be, okay. everything is going good in your life, but God wants us to come to him and we cannot get clean or get healthy all on our own. We need God to help us. We need the support of the church to help us as we seek to transform our lives from um, whatever situation we are in. Within three years of release, two out of three ex-offenders are rearrested. Clearly, something is broken. It's time we strategize ways to prevent repeat offenses. Our brainstorming session starts now. Welcome to A Prisoner's Pardon. Hello and welcome to A Prisoner's Pardon Podcast. I'm your host, Michi J. Next week is election day and there are candidates on the ballot. These are people that we look at to see their background and their qualifications just to see if they can do the job. A lot of times we review ourselves this way, even when we're just seeking help. Believe it or not, many people struggle with this, especially those leaving prison. Well, my next guest, who happens to also be my friend, is Claude Williams. He is a minister and has been in prison ministry many years. He talks about why ex-felons find it hard to come as they are. Listen in now to my chat with Claude as we talk about why it's so hard for ex-felons to ask for help. Do you find it difficult to ask for help? Maybe you're facing a hard issue now in your life and you're hesitating to talk to someone. When these times come, do you feel as if you need to clean yourself up some before asking for help? Well, our topic is come as you are. And we have here today as our special guest, Minister Claude Williams. Now, Minister Williams has been in ministry for helping people over like 35 years over obstacles like this. Now, he has a master's degree in Christian counseling and a doctorate in theology. He currently serves in the prison ministry and holds many other roles such as youth minister, um, Bible school teacher, youth coach. I can just go on and on. But right now, we're just going to welcome Minister Clyde Williams. Welcome, Clyde. Thank you. What did you say? Michi J. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Michi J. (laughs) Audience, I don't really know her by Michi J, but I'm going to use her handle. (laughs) Michi J. I'm honored to be here and uh, to be your speaker on today. Um, Tell tell us more about yourself because you you work a lot with youth and in um, different ministries. Yes, so I am a minister, an associate minister at Community Baptist Church of uh, Greater Milwaukee, and I'm married to the lovely Ms. Dawn, and um, together we we minister with each other and providing services to our community. I have been actively involved in youth ministry since... Um, 1986 and in prison ministries uh, particularly working with women since uh, 1992 and in 1996 for about five years also doing juvenile detention 
uh, young boys and girls that were sent to juvenile detention centers. I was doing ministries with them too. Um, I love wow. working with people. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. I love working with young people. I love, you know, what I do. I love trying to help someone turn their life around and give their life back to God. I think that is very important, especially in these trying times in which we live in today. Yes. Yes. Just a little bit about me. And so our topic today is come as you are. So we have people you know, just having an issue with that sometimes that they feel like they should clean themselves up or they feel embarrassed about um, talking about certain subjects um, with people when they actually need help in that area. What do you say to that? Well, what I would say to that is if you are trying to clean yourself up, you will never get there on your own. Um, We all need uh, help getting to where we want to be and especially when it comes to the church you know God wants us to come and bring all of our for lack of a better word mess that we have with us all the issues of life that we are going through whether it's depression whether it's drug use whether it's abuse whether it's substance abuse whether it's loneliness whether it's alcoholism no matter what state we are in god wants us to come and we could even be in a good state don't necessarily have to be a bad state we could be everything is going good in your life but god wants us to come to him and we cannot get clean or get healthy all on our own we need god to help us we need the support of the church to help us as we seek to transform our lives from um, whatever situation we are in. That is just so countercultural when you try to do things yourself, self-help. It's not biblical at all. It's not even, it doesn't make sense <laughs> if you ask me, because you know we, we all need help and we have to be like humble, right? Don't you think we have to humble ourselves? I think that's a lot of issue too. Yes, there are a lot of people who are afraid to humble themselves before the Lord. You know, and, and that's um, one of the things that, you know, I feel society today is lacking. We lack humility um, because everybody wants to live, quote unquote, their best life. Mm-hmm. Well, I find that living my best life comes from being in the presence of God, knowing that Jesus is my savior, knowing that he loves me. And knowing that when I am feeling down and out and I need someone to talk to, Mm -hmm. the church is there for me. In this culture where we live in, where we, where a lot of people want to confide in their friends (laughs) for advice. If you have unsaved friends, you won't get unsaved advice. Mm -hmm. And that advice may not help you as you seek to move forward. Mm -hmm in a positive direction in your life you said you work at the prisons right in Tachita do do you find that um some of the women there ask for advice or what kind of questions do they have for you yeah so so they do ask for advice a lot of times you know they want to know what can I expect when I leave here 
Mm, you know, some women, that's a good question. Go ahead. Yes. Some women have been in prison for 25 or 30 years. And just think how much the world has changed in, say, 30 years. So if you went to prison in 1992, you know, a lot has changed in your lifetime. You, you witnessed it from behind bars, but you haven't really witnessed it up close and personal. You know, mm -hmm. cell phone technology is such that most people, if they leave their cell phone at home, will go back and get it. <laughs> but if they leave their wallet at home or your purse at home, you may say, well, I can use my phone to pay for stuff. You know, mm -hmm. your cell phone today is more powerful than a computer was in 1992. You know, mm -hmm. there have been um, things that have taken place that have shaped and rechanged the world. I mean, 9-11 changed how Americans and people all over the world travel by plane. Um, in America, we had our first ever African-American or Black president. You know, um, you look at some mm -hmm. of the things that have, have taken place. I mean, Rodney King, um, the beating of Rodney King took place in, in about 1992 and it's still taking place today in 30 years. That has not changed. So you, I tell women and a few men that I talk to that when you are ready as you're getting ready to leave prison, the first thing you have to do is you have to make a plan for yourself. Mm -hmm. You have to uh, ask yourself, you know, what do I want? Right. Okay. Right. Because if you get out of prison, you are always going to be the one that's looked at whenever something goes wrong. You know, they're always going to tell you what you used to be and what you used to do. Mm -hmm. You know, you are an ex-con. So if something comes up missing in my home or I misplace something, automatically people are gonna say, um, the ex-con took it. When you go to apply for a job, you know, you have to check that box to say, I am a felon, even though you did your time you still got to check the box that states I am a felon, which in essence is putting you right back in um, the same position you were in when you were in prison. The only difference is you're, you're on the streets. You go back around your, your, your family and your friends and they're still doing the same things that you were doing that got you to jail in the first place. You know, they're going to try to get you back into the drug game or whatever it was that sent you to jail, they're going to try to bring you back into that trap. Mm -hmm. So you have to devise a plan that's going to get you free of all of that. So what can family members do or what does um, particular churches do to help? Churches are supposed to be a place where you can come and seek refuge from your problems uh, in life. You know, the church is a place where you get another chance. 
I'm not going to say a second chance because a lot of us have used up our second mm -hmm. chances. Mm -hmm. So churches are places where you can come and get another chance. Mm -hmm. God, Jesus Christ is waiting for you with open arms. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is repent. Right. And in terms of family, that could be a, a lot trickier because some family members don't want to uh, forgive you for what you did. And they will constantly throw it up in your face. Some family members will be supportive while still others will say, I love you, I support you, but it's from a distance. You know, uh, can I stay at your house? No, you can't stay at my house. I give you money for you to go somewhere, but you can't stay with me. So family members can be very, very tricky mm -hmm. and yeah, they still, they have um, broken relationships right there. They still have to reconcile those. But yeah, your family can support as much as possible, even before they come out, right? And just trying to support them and understanding us. This is like a very vulnerable time for them. I can understand both sides, um, but we do still need to be there. So what about, so when you, so you do have family members that's willing to, support in what what how what ways can they support like uh to help them assimilate out well, well I, I think the first way you can help is to be patient and try to understand the person that is getting out of prison that they've gone through something very traumatic mm -hmm. and you need to offer support the second thing is you need to offer encouragement. And encouragement means that you should try to offer them a shoulder to cry on. Um, you should try to offer them, if you are in position, a job. You know, whether it's one that you may have to create for them or one that you can help them get. And then you have to let them know that you're going to have to start from the bottom and work your way back up. You know, there's a song out there that has the lyrics. I started from the bottom. Now I'm here. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, sometimes, you know, you get out of prison, you're going to be at rock bottom. You're going to be at the lowest point that you have ever probably been in, in your life, because some people, are willing to take a chance on you, most people are not. So you're gonna to have to create your own opportunities. And a lot of times creating your own opportunities comes from the assistance and help of family and friends. And if you are a family member of a person that's in jail and they're getting out and they come to you with an idea of what they want to try to do to better them lives, don't shoot them down, mm -hmm. build them up. Let them know that, yes, I believe in your dream. I believe in what it is you're trying to do, you know, because that's what they need. They need belief and support. And that is very, to me, that is very critical to a person getting out of prison is that family members have to believe and support them if they're going to be able to make it. Hmm. Well, like what sort of stories have you heard from some of the women or youth or whatever that 
that didn't have that support, what did it, what did it do to them? What did they say? Uh, they came right back to, to Cheetah mm-hmm. for the women, you know, for men, they go right back to Walpon or up to Oshkosh, mm-hmm. you know, because they don't have that support system. And, and what they said they found themselves doing is they were back on the streets doing the same thing, the same way, getting caught. When you are a parolee, they tell you all the things you can't do. Like you can't drink, can't do drugs. You got to have a place to stay and you got to have a permanent address. You cannot be in possession of a firearm. You cannot vote. So they tell you all the things you cannot do. And you but, feel stripped. they have to feel stripped of, you, you know, of everything almost. Yes. The ladies that I talked to said that everywhere they went, doors got closed in their face and they said it was hard for them to to cope because they're trying to survive and at every turn a door got closed in their face so they didn't so so they didn't find it difficult to ask for help they were saying that they were asking for help but they weren't getting the help that's what happened oh wow okay yes because when you go out there for a job like i say you have to check the box saying you're a felon. Mm-hmm. So if you don't check the box and say you're 30, 40 years old, you don't check the box, they're gonna ask where your work history is because you have none. Mm-hmm. When you do check the box, your application automatically goes to the bottom of the pile. Mm-hmm. They said, family members was like, listen, you gotta get a job. I'm not about supporting a uh, person so you, you, you got to get you a job. And if you don't get a job, you got to get out of here. And so they were saying that when you get out of a, a, a prison, if you don't have a halfway house that you can go to, you know, a lot of doors are shut in your face. And then, and then for women in particular, one of the, the biggest things is you went to jail and you had a kid that was three or four years old mm-hmm. now you're out it's 20 years later and you're out that 23 year old yeah they know you as their biological mother but are you really their mother wow and you have to reestablish that relationship yeah and right. mm-hmm. you can't come in saying i'm your mama you're gonna do as i say or <laughs> else Mm-hmm. because then the kid is like what is the or else you can do to me <laughs> you can't touch me because I can send you back to prison so you you know that's a relationship that a lot of mothers look forward to having with their kid but you know that kid may not be ready to view you as the mother they will understand that you gave them birth but you're you're technically not their mother because for 25 20 to 25 years you was locked up and you couldn't give them the nurturing or anything that a child needs because you were behind bars and now you're trying to assert your authority as a mother so a lot of women said that hurt them and then with the disrespect that so many young people have today 
you know, how do you deal with a disrespectful person? You normally want to lash out. Mm -hmm. And when you are a person on parole and you have those kind of feelings, can you turn and walk away? In one lady's case, she said her son hit her. Wow. So the first time he hit her, she turned and she walked away. The second time he hit her a few days later, because he said, you can't do nothing about it. He, and she told him, she said, listen here, mm-hmm. you got one more time to hit me. I said, I, she said, I'll gladly go back to jail before I let a child of mine hit me again. Mm-hmm. And he thought she was playing. So he hit her again. And then she dropped him. You know, she didn't kill him. Mm-hmm. She beat him up pretty good. And when the police came, even though he hit her and she had visible signs of abuse and she was a woman, but because she was a felon, she went back to jail for assault and battery and the son didn't get charged with anything, you know? So that dynamic is very, very different. That that, that dynamic is very, very hard to overcome. Yeah. We need to, that's, you know, it's just difficult with child and parent relationship without that, you know, a background, let alone having one and dealing with children because they, they go for the juggler and, and that's a weak spot in there. They're, they're going to take that opportunity. I mean, um, do we have things in a church that can support that or, or is there anything, I haven't seen any counseling for that or, you know, when they come out trying to reconcile their relationship with their children. I, I imagine it wouldn't happen overnight. It would take time to reestablish those relations or just to establish them if they went in pretty young, um, when, when the kid was young, I should say. So I, I think that's a great idea to have with the churches when um, maybe they can, what do you think about that, Claude, um, about them? I know we have a problem with once they get out, they don't stay, they don't stay connected to the church. What if we had something to say, like we help you with reconciling your relationships with your children and stuff? Maybe that can be something to draw them, um, some sort of services like that to help them, you know, stay connected to support systems like the church. Um, uh, I think part of the problem that some people have or some um, prisoner or ex-convicts uh-huh. have is the church is very, very judgmental. I was going to, I didn't want to bring that. But yes, I did think that is, you know, it's all, you know, everybody has problems and it's going to be people in the church that are judgmental, unfortunately, but, you know, we do have sick people there as well. And I just hope they just overcome that. So I, I hope the churches are listening and ministers are listening and holding these people accountable when they notice that. So, because it's, it's, it's really not good. Well, you know, some of the judgmental people come from the pulpit. It's oh, not always nice. just the members. That's nice. Sometimes it's, um, you know, you have ministers that are, are, are judgmental. Like I said, the church is supposed to be a place where you can come and buy a solace and a second chance. But a lot of times 
you don't get that sense of a second chance from, you know, the church. And then mm -hmm. in terms of, um, you know, programming that the church mm -hmm. can do, you know, some churches try to have an outreach ministry mm -hmm. for um, men and women coming out of prison. And I think the biggest thing is, is that you have to have men and women who have been trained and equipped to um, work, um, work with them. Yes. Okay. And, and then when you're working with that group of people, you have to understand that the resources are not always going to be there. So as a church family and a church community, you have to provide the resources for the women. And I know once upon a time, our church was trying to do a Ruth house. And um, that's good. Mm -hmm. You know, we ran into obstacles from the city with giving us approval to have a Ruth house because some of the women that were getting out of prison that were going to come to our location were sex offenders. And where do you put a sex offender? No one wants a sex offender in their neighborhood. No one wants them in their community. So a sex offender is a person who is always, always still entrapped in prison because no one wants them. No one wants to be around them. And, you know, society says that once you offend, you're always going to be an offender. And I think that in itself, America's criminal justice system, when it was first set up, was not set up to be a lifelong punitive system. You did your time, you got out of jail. Originally, you can go back into society yeah. and you go back to a, a life. You know, while some of your family members and close friends look down upon you, you didn't have to check that box that said you was a felon. Uh, if you was a sex offender, you didn't have to be ostracized or put on the sex offenders list mm -hmm. somewhere along the line people decided to make you going to jail a punitive type of thing i think they may and, be looking into that um changing that law about the application for certain offenses i think i have to check into that but i think they've been looking at that but yeah the sex offenders if they have that label that's going to be pretty hard I've seen, but it's not, it is still doable, but it's, it's just harder. Um, yes, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's harder, but you got to realize that, you know, you've been in jail for 20 or 30 years. As I stated earlier, the world has changed so much, mm -hmm. you know, my cell phone is more powerful than computers were if I went to jail 30 years ago. Oh, for sure. <laughs> you know, I can do more with my cell phone than I could ever do with a computer. And some people, their cell phone is their computer mm -hmm. because I can check my email, I can pay bills, right. I can translate stuff from one language to another language, I can get directions, I can 
look up restaurants. I can I can do everything with a cell phone that right. fits in the palm of my hand. And while you may be in prison and you may watch a movie that has this cell phone, it's something totally different mm-hmm. to actually be on the outside and have that kind of technology in your hand, you know, to have it at your your, your fingertips. I've been you know. hearing that common theme uh, with interviews that helping them assimilate outside of prison is a big issue. It's a big issue. So yeah, that is true. That I mean, the way you're putting it, it, it just it does make that is up very hard to teach them if they haven't had that background. So especially it's it's so much they have to learn. We've learned some of the reasons why ex-felons don't come as they are and those that do come, how they face obstacles. Well, we are not done with class conversation. Tune in next week to hear the rest of the interview. Thanks for tuning in today. Until next time, I'm Michi J. Wishing you a week filled with blessings. Thanks for tuning in to the show. For more information on our guests and resources, visit prisonerspardon.com. If you're enjoying the content, follow, like, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, please be sure to leave a rating and review. Until next time, God bless.